Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, how's it going? We are moving deeper and deeper into the holiday season, and we're not going to talk about that today, though. (laughs) Today, I have my good friend, Lindsay Ellison, back with me. You know her as the author of Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist, and um, but she's got a new book out. And it's really cool. And there's um, a lot of personal stuff in this episode from (laughs) both Lindsay and myself. Um, We share uh, some unique experiences and um, talk about them quite openly. But before we get to that, I want to let you know a couple of things. The first is that... um, in starting in January, I have a few open slots for private coaching. I have a whole slew of clients that are kind of completing this month. So I've got a, a few open slots for private work that is getting on the phone with me every week. And, you know, I customize my plan. That's really How I work with private clients is that it is completely customized to what you're going through, where you're at, and helping you move towards the goals that you identify. So if uh, whether you are trying to decide whether to stay or go, if that is your goal, we will get you there. If you are at the beginning process, uh, beginning stages of divorce, and you need help getting through it, we will absolutely get you through it. Better informed and stronger and increased amounts of clarity and confidence and all of that. Um, And if you're already going through the divorce and you're restarting, I got you there too. Go to my website, which is kateanthony.com, click on the drop down that says private coaching, and you can read all about it. It's a very detailed page that will give you all the information you need. Everyone who comes to me for private coaching also gets access to both of my online programs, Should I Stay or Should I Go, and the Divorce Survival Program. So it's a really great way to do this. I mean, it's sort of the optimal way to go through. And if you're trying to think like, like, why should I pay a divorce coach as well as an attorney and as well as a, you know, maybe a therapist, blah, blah, blah. My clients who work with me privately probably spend a lot less on their divorces, um, on their attorneys. And, you know, that's nothing against attorneys because uh, attorneys love (laughs) their clients who work with me because they have the appropriate team in place. I get on the phone with attorneys all the time. I get on the phone with your therapist as well. So I, this is a fully functioning uh, team effort. And I highly recommend that um, if you are really sort of gunning for needing some uh, one-on-one guidance as you go through any of this, I hope you will consider me. (laughs) I mean, if you're listening to my podcast, right, you may as well. Let's like, let's get on the phone. Let's do this. All right. So I said there were a couple of things. Really, that was just, there was just one thing. That was it. (laughs) All right. So Lindsay, I'm going to circle back to Lindsay. So Lindsay is a breakup to breakthrough coach. She is an author, a podcaster, and she is here to talk to us about her latest book, Blessings of a Breakup. Got it? Blessing. It's a blessing and it's a lesson. Lindsay is also one of my favorite people. She's a dear friend. And this episode, I loved having this conversation with Lindsay. It was really healing and beautiful. And so I really hope that it is for you as well. And I hope that you all head on over to Lindsay's website and uh, pick up her new book, Blessings of a Breakup. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Lindsay Ellison. 
Welcome back to the podcast, Lindsay Ellison, one of my favorite people. Thank you. (laughs) So happy to be here. Yes. So, so happy to have you. So, all right. So we're going to start with, there was a personal moment where a bunch of us were like, where that, where's Lindsay? (laughs) Is that okay to talk about? That's perfect. It's a great set. set. Yeah. This was last year. This was last year. Last year, there was a moment where all of us realized Susan Guthrie, Gabrielle Hartley, it was like a group of us. And we were like, where the hell is Lindsay? And we were texting each other. We're like, have you heard from her? We don't know where she is. What is going on? She's not responding to emails. She's not, her texts are going to green. Where the hell was Lindsay? Where the hell was Lindsay? Ah, uh, wow. That was a great intro, Kate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So last year of 2020, amazing year for all of us, that was sarcasm. We had this thing called a pandemic. If you Did we? Um, yeah, that- if you remember. <laughs> So weird. So weird. That's gone now though, right? It's over. Right. It's completely over. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But, um, prior to that, so I'd say leading into 2019 or kind of 2019, I have been just, I have been on your podcast before. I don't remember, Mm -hmm. uh, how much people know me, but just those who don't, I've been in a, into the coaching I've done divorcing, but I've been really more of a breakup coach, you know, expert in narcissism, et cetera. You guys know, you guys know Lindsay from her book that we always recommend magic words, how to get what you want from a narcissist. So y'all know, y'all know who Lindsay is. Yes. Thank you. So I have been coaching for nine years and pretty happily married for the very first, you know, good chunk of the nine years. And I started my business when, when he and I were first early married. So Mm -hmm. I really felt as though my business and my image and everything on Instagram was attached to my happy life. Yes. And this is your second marriage, right? This man was not, not the father of your kids. Right. Yeah, not the narcissist, still mm-hmm. not a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And I, he was the healthiest man, healthiest relationship I've ever had because I was in a relationship with a narcissist for 17 years. So mm-hmm. I really touted like, oh God, you know, don't give up a marriage. You could always work. And, and so, but then things started to not be so good anymore. And a lot of it had to do with his personal journey that had nothing to do with me mm-hmm. and things going on in his personal life that I will never share uh, with the public. And then what it did for me is watching my partner struggle, kicked in the old codependent ways of coping mm-hmm. into wanting to fix someone and yeah. to bear their pain and to carry their pain and to making sure and the fear of losing him and the fear of watching his life pretty much fall apart had nothing to do with me. It's just professionally scared me so much because I didn't want to be abandoned. So those Mm -hmm. old triggers, right. Mm -hmm. The old trauma Mm -hmm. triggers and what the, that frightening aspect of, of that within him made me go into denial. And I was so afraid that not only would I be abandoned, but my biggest thing is what if people find out, (laughs) what if people find out that Lindsay really isn't great. She's been saying all this stuff. So I was, I had this huge imposter fraudulent fear that if people found out. So in my mind, I, my distorted thoughts were if my marriage breaks up, I'm going to lose my business. That's Hmm. the way I, I, you know, and, and that's the only thing I had that kept me going. If, if I, I have to have a job, if he's, if we're separating, right. Right. So that was happening. And then the pandemic hit. And then that was like the cherry on top, the straw, the boat, the camel's back and Mm -hmm. having my kids home and watching them struggle. And Mm -hmm. my son was a senior in high school. He wasn't getting his senior year. There was stuff going on with their dad, you know, him losing his father. So I had the kids home quite a bit. My now husband, he lost his job. So he's unraveling. The world was unraveling. So not only in my home, but externally, you know, COVID, right. And just everything. Right. right. So I managed and managed and managed until my husband and I just decided we had to split. He had to go away for a bit. We weren't sure if we were going to get back together. And it was him leaving that actually made me lose, lose it. And I had a complete emotional breakdown to the point where I wanted to take my life. Mm -hmm. 
I hadn't gotten that far yet, but I was really starting to think that life would be so much better without me in it. And I just needed to get, I, I, and I honestly didn't know what was happening to me. And, and, and then I started like, maybe I'm bipolar, maybe I'm crazy. Cause I, and, and so then, and as I was having this breakdown, it was happening slowly. I couldn't take on clients. So all I did was sit outside and stared out at my yard for hours and then I was starting mm-hmm. to drink a lot of wine. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, my, my stepmom caught on to it. And long story short, she heard me speaking um, suicidally. And the next day I was on a plane. So it was mm-hmm. one of those things of, Lindsay, you don't really have a choice. But it, 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 I was in such a, a, a wreck and such a state of sadness that I didn't care whether I went away or not. So I went to this place in Arizona called The Meadows. And it's a six-week program. Um, they have other programs, but I took the six-week in inpatient. And it's really a, a kind of one of the best places for dealing with childhood trauma. And I recognized that what was happening to me is I was going through such a triggered trauma response of being left and abandoned. It was very similar to what happened to me as a kid. And so I learned about I was what's having, I was experienced what's called relational death. So the death of a relationship was actually spiraling me into wanting to die. By the way, this is what I, I learned about love addiction, right? So mm, being yeah. in oh, that, being in uh, at the Meadows, I had learned that I was in a co-addicted relationship mm. where my husband was going through his stuff and I could let him work it out. I had to work it out for him. Yeah. And the more I would work it out for him, the more he would depend on me to do it. And then he would never do the things that I was working out for him. And then you know, hence the codependent, co-addicted relationship. And I had to unravel as to why I felt it necessary to be stuck in that. Mm. So long story short, uh, I came home from that. And when I got home, I was on the path of getting healthy. And the way I can best describe it is leaving him for six weeks and then coming back to that is like an alcoholic after six weeks going to rehab, walking into a bar. Yeah, right. You can't, right. You can't go back to the same relationship dynamic. Like, right. Whether no, it's like, good or bad, right? Like there's no good or bad. It's just, it's a, it's a dynamic that you can't just walk back into. Yes. And what I had done is six weeks, seven days a week, 20 hours a day felt like uh, working on myself and getting very clear. And so the reason why you couldn't, I should footnote is that the reason why I couldn't get in touch with me is a, I didn't tell anyone that I walked off the face of the earth because of shame. She literally disappeared y'all. Yeah. <laughs> we were I so mean, worried. my best friends, no one knew except mm-hmm. for my kids and their dad. And that's right. it. Right. And my parents, of course. Um, and I didn't care. And so you're, you, they take away your phone. You don't have access to your computer, nothing. And then two weeks in, I was, uh, you know, I'm like, I really got to let people know that I'm not dead. I mean, my, my neighbors thought that like my husband, like buried me in the backyard. They were like, where's Lindsay? <laughs> like they, cause they were so used to seeing me outside. So, <laughs> Staring <yeah>. into the <laughs> void. <laughs> it made she you feel be- really loved. She became um, the void y'all. She became the void. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up just coming home and recognizing that, and this is what happens. Um, and I always like to apply my story to what your listeners might be going through is when we leave a relationship and we try to go back into it um, and we're getting triggered what he was still working on that hasn't really been resolved. It was triggering me to want to help him. Right. And I right. learned that I had to have the boundaries around it. So we ultimately ended up splitting for good. And it was like a breakup I've never had before where I broke up with someone I really loved. Yeah. Never had that. You know, all my breakups are like, fuck you, I'm done. Right. There was right. not really, it really wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this mutual understanding and self-love for both of us and him. And, and, and I did not, and I was unprepared by the pain of that. I did not think it would be that hard right? because you go through significant withdrawal when you break up with someone that's not good for you. And if Mm. you still like them and I knew this was happening, right. Because I at least had all the training at this point And so from like, you know, really it was like last year from like November through February, I was just in a deep state of grief. Yeah. 
it was so painful and the withdrawal was so strong that my, I was negotiating with myself of how can I get back together with him? Mm -hmm. It wasn't that bad. Right. And then through all of that, I ended up having to turn to God of some higher power to get me through this because I recognize that in love addiction or any toxic relationship, we make our partners, our higher power. Mm-hmm, lose mm-hmm. sight of ourselves. Right. Just like alcoholics make alcohol their higher power. Right. So let's talk about, I want to talk about love addiction and what you're, what you're saying about love addiction, because people are like love addiction. Well, does that, is that a thing? Is that like, what? come on. So I want to sort of talk, I want to, I want to break down what you've discovered about the science of it right? The, well, like what's happening in your brain, the brain chemicals, the trauma, like all of that, like, what is, what is it? What is love addiction? Yes. Oh, I love that you asked that because I think it's something that most people struggle with and they don't know that it's called love addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Typically, if you are a love addict, you are in love with what's called a love avoidant. So I'm going to actually have to talk about both in order for them to to understand. So they really work together. Mm -hmm. So a love addict is someone who is a lot of codependence, right? Where we end up falling for someone or liking someone who is not that available, whether it's Mm -hmm. emotionally available, physically available, emotionally intelligent. And so those people that we fall in love with are called love avoidance. I like to, people ask me this question and so I'm going to answer it say, oh, are narcissists love avoidance? They can be, but narcissists can also be severe love addicts. Right. So it's really the love addict, love avoidant. There's no, I really try to take the words codependent narcissist out of it because there's more nuance to that. So, but a love addict typically has experienced some kind of trauma or abandonment growing up. And so for me, my dad was an absolute love avoided and to this day still is. Mm-hmm. And um, he was emotionally unavailable, very emotionally wounded. He, uh, my mother died when I was six in a very tragic car accident. So they were very young. And I think my dad never came out of that grief. And mm-hmm. I always would say that uh, when my mom died, I think a part of him went with her. Yeah. So here I was a little girl needing a nurturing parent and he wasn't one. So that was pretty much, I'd say the origins or the beginning of, of kind of a codependent of not having my needs met and taking care of someone else's. And I really did take care of my father way more than I took care of myself and more than he took care of me. We, the love addict is the greatest fear. A love addict's greatest fear is abandonment mm-hmm, right. with an underlying fear of intimacy And intimacy is not something that's sexual. Intimacy is about having an emotional connection that's healthy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at the Meadows, at the Meadows, they use the word intimacy as into me, you see. So Mm -hmm. that's the way they define it. So Mm -hmm. are you allowing to let, let, you know, and typically a love addict is too afraid of that because they're afraid of getting abandoned. So they'll, instead of being intimate and allowing you someone in, will end up tending to a love avoidant. That's how we get intimacy is tending to someone else's need and worrying about them. So a cycle of a love addict would be, they get into a relationship. Uh, Love addicts are really good at fantasizing, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Not sexually fantasizing. um, That's not what I mean. But fantasizing that this guy is the greatest guy in the world. So love addicts are typically, they have lost the ability to have reality and understand the reality because that typically also comes from childhood because children cope through fantasy. Right. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, And pretending that everything's fine. So if that has not been treated or it's been unresolved, um, as as the love addict gets into you know a, uh, an adult life, they will find every way. So love addicts love narcissists and toxic people because narcissists tend to what they're really really good at creating a fantasy of the relationship early on, right? Right. Yes, and they love to be fawned over. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. So it's so, like it's a perfect receptacle for our for our fawning and our caretaking and blah blah blah. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then. She is responsive to the avoidance 
seductiveness and enters the relationship in a haze of fantasy, denies partners walls and importance of life outside a relationship. So whatever the walls are going on with their partner, their love avoidant, whether they get into, you know, whether it's work or they actually have another relationship going on, whatever that thing is, a love addict will then realize what's going on and experiences an event that shatters the denial that we've been having about the relationship. And then what we do is we go into emotional withdrawal from that fantasy and we go into having pain, anger, fear, shame, rage, panic. And then what happens is we start to become the love avoidant. Mm, So mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. fantasy is broken. We can't believe this is happening. And then we go into this mode where we retreat. And those moments when we retreat is we become the love avoidant. And then the love avoidant becomes the love addict. (laughs) They're trying to come after us. Yes. So this is the love bombing cycle, Mm -hmm. right? This is, and uh, I want you Mm -hmm. back. I promise to be better. I'll take, I'll go to therapy. If I I can't lose you, et cetera. right? Right. And so then the relationship will then create some kind of equilibrium for a while and everything will be normal. And the love addict then gets a high off of this normalcy and will start to obsess and eventually start to really get back into the relationship. Everything's great. And then the love avoidant is like, whoa, 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 this is way too much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the love avoidant will retreat and the same cycle will happen. And somewhere along the lines that happened, that started happening to me and my partner for like four years before we split and we, it just became more and more toxic. So to say what a love avoidant, you're going to see something that's interesting. So I just said a love addict, a love addict, their greatest fear is that of abandonment Mm -hmm. with an underlying fear of intimacy, Mm -hmm. a love avoidant, their greatest fear is that of intimacy with an underlying fear of abandonment. Yeah. It's kind of mind blowing, right? It's like the perfect the, like all the pieces just kind of fit perfectly together in this toxic, like, yeah, it, it's a perfect, it's a perfect match. And yet also like the worst, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so they end up becoming overwhelmed by the partner's neediness of the partner or just things that they're asking them to do and moves from what's what they call the wall of seduction to the wall of anger or resentment. And then they pull away and then would abandon the relationship in some way and creates distance from the partner. Then they created some kind of intensity outside the relationship. And again, it does not mean they're having an affair, but they'll really get into work or they'll start to book up their travel a lot, or they'll buy a sailboat or something where there's, they, or they need, will have an affair or, or they right, will have an affair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's it could be. Yeah. I just want to say that, you know, the reason why I said that is because a lot of the love avoidance don't have affairs. Um, sure. They, they right. just might have an affair with working out. Yeah. Right. Right. There's the at- intensity is indulged in a different place. Yeah. And so I'll read to you kind of what the, what the thought pattern is of a love avoidant and then the thought pattern of a love addict. So a love avoidant is my sense of value comes from taking care of needy people. Mm -hmm. My job relationally is to take care of needy people. If I don't, I feel guilty, but to be relational and intimate is to suffocate and to die. So the minute a love avoidant, they're afraid of having intimacy, but if they don't, they're afraid of being left. So they just do it out of obligation and it's very um, smothering and and they feel resentful of it. So love avoidants typically have a, a childhood trauma of enmeshment, having to take care of a mother or father too early on in life. And so they get afraid of having to be so burdened by someone's needs, but that's all they know. Yeah. Where a love addict's trauma is more of I'm worthless in a relationship to my partner. I need to be taken care of as I can't survive alone. And if I don't get close enough relationally, I'll die. But interestingly, like I can see the cycle and how and how like personally I cycle through both. (laughs) Right. Because because that's the that's the like infinity loop here. Right. Where you're the you're the addict and then the relationship shifts and you become the avoidant and then right and like I can totally see that I can see myself in both of those well it's funny because right before we hit record I was talking to you about 
how I, I just started dating someone now. So just yeah. took a, a few months and, um, he's healthy, mm. he's stable, mm-hmm. he's consistently nurturing weird and <laughs> right. And I am the love avoidant in this relationship. And you have no idea what the fuck to do with that. Yeah. And so I, in the beginning, I found myself like sabotaging and pulling away and being quote bored, right? Were you bored? Bored. Yep. Getting bored. There's no, there's nothing to chase here. Right. 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 I don't get a high because the high, a love addict's high. We can, we can, we like when the guy pulls away so that when they do come back, we get a high, uh-huh. but this guy is so consistent that I started to think that he was like, I literally interpreted he's getting clingy. He's needy. He's not because I have had boundaries and he's like, oh yeah, if you sure, if you need more time, I'm like that's fine. Right. He's very secure with himself. And that's when I realized, oh shit, now I'm the love avoidant. God damn it. So then I was like, why, why is this? And that's what I was saying. I actually had to go back into therapy mm-hmm. to, to understand again, this is all trauma because what happened is as a child, I never got nurturing or love from my father at all, other than my financial needs met and my education and like food on the table. Right. So when a guy is really healthy, I almost don't feel subconsciously worthy of it. And it scares the shit out of me. Right. And you also don't equate it with love because you have a mapping. Yeah. Right. You've got brain mapping that is, that equates quote love with the avoidance that your dad met you with. Right. So it doesn't, you don't equate it as love. You're like, what is this? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And here's the thing that I like, if you were to tell me a year ago that I was going to be on a podcast with you a year later talking about this, I would have been like, there's no way in hell I would Uh ever want anyone to know it. But now that I went through quote treatment and I really do see now codependency as an addiction, um, we have thinking, we have a thinking problem. Yeah. It has to be managed. It it never, um, that's why you always say an alcoholic can be sober for 25 years, but they'll still say they're a recovering alcoholic um, because they know it has to be managed. And so that's what ended up allowing me to be more open about it because I have learned the tools which I now pass on to my clients and they, my clients know, Oh my God, you know, tell me how to get out of these triggering moments, how to, how can I find? And I know I found this guy because this healthy person, because I did the work. That's right. And so I know now that he's healthy and I'm still struggling. I now know, Oh, that's my addiction talking to me. That's me. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yes. And so the, one of the keys in this process and this healing process for you has been this spiritual, you know, we can call it a spiritual awakening or we can call it, you know, a spiritual process, right? But this is not a, this is, there is therapy involved that's like super duper important. And I think that we can recommend that people find find therapists, you know, we talk all the time Um, on the podcast and in my groups about, you know, how to find a good therapist and we're looking for advanced training in these things. And so one of the things that you recommend is to find someone who's actually been trained by the Meadows, which just full disclosure, I've, I've talked on the podcast a lot about how in, I've mentioned a few times in, oh God, when was it? It was March of last year, the end of March of last, of, of this year, 2021, when I was staring into the void and was in a frozen trauma response myself because of some stuff that had happened in my life, I called Lindsay (laughs) and I was like, where do I go? (laughs) And so she sent me to the meadows and that's where I went. I didn't go for the full six weeks. I I wish I could have, but it wasn't, it wasn't feasible financially or logistically. And also I wasn't, I mean, it was, listen, I would love to have, I really would. But Lindsay did tell me there, there was a, there is a week long program that she found to be the most sort of profound in her six weeks there. And so I was like, I'll go do that. Mm-hmm. So I fucking all the gratitude in the world um, because it really was life-changing. It truly was. So finding someone who is trained by the meadows is probably, I would say one of the top things to look for because the, the level 
of understanding of the psychiatric sort of process, especially around codependency, is fucking profound. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of our sponsors. Wait, 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 don't go anywhere. Seriously, don't go anywhere, because guess what? It's me. (laughs) I'm the sponsor. This is an ad for my program. Should you stay or should you go? You know that when I was in the depths of despair, struggling to decide whether or not to leave my marriage, I wanted a burning bush. I wanted someone or something to tell me clearly it's time to go or stay and you'll get through this. It's just a phase. I desperately wanted to protect my son from the fallout of divorce, but I wasn't sure if I was doing more damage by staying in my toxic marriage. What I know now is that instead of a burning bush, what I really needed was a system. There was an enormous stack of emotional boxes at my feet, and I needed someone to help me sort through them, like a Marie Kondo, but for my life. But of course, back in 2008, nothing like that existed. And since it didn't exist for me, it became my life's mission to create it for you. Should I stay or should I go is the only online coaching program designed to help you Make the right decision about your marriage once and for all. In this groundbreaking online coaching program, you will unlock the support, education, and deep transformational work you need to finally answer your most burning question. Should I stay or should I go? So head on over to my website, kateanthony.com, click on should I stay and sign up for the program or find the link in the show notes and sign up for the program today. Best of all, As a listener to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, you get $50 off. Use the code DSGPOD at checkout and $50 will be taken off your purchase. You do not need to suffer any longer. I got you. Back to our regular scheduled program. The other part of this, which is also part of the process at the Meadows, by the way, like it's not, it's not separate, right? Is this spiritual? process, which is what you've written this, this new book sort of about. So before we get into that, let's talk about the spiritual process and like, why, why does it matter? And like, yeah, why, why does it, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Exactly. Because, you know, the Meadows is rehab, Mm -hmm. if you Mm -hmm. will. And people go there for all kinds of things, Right. right? So it's not obviously drugs and alcohol, but eating disorders, Mm -hmm. workaholism, anything where we're doing too much of excessive things that's harming us, they see it as an addiction. So there are 12 steps out there. And I had no idea there was 12 steps for all kinds. There's depression, there's CODA, there's CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous, just for... Mm -hmm. There's SLAW, Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's, there's stuff for workaholism, there's stuff for eating disorders. So the 12 step program doesn't matter what you're addicted to. It's pretty much the same process. It's the same steps, Mm -hmm. right? I don't have the steps in front of me, but I believe the first one is admitting to admitting that you have a problem. And the second one is handing it over to a higher power, power greater than yourself. Yeah. Well, well, no, I mean, yes, the first one um, is admitted to ourself and to others that there that there is a problem. The second one is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, right? And then the the third step is actually handing it over, right? So right. The, there's a whole step to actually coming to the realization that what your that if your life has become unmanageable, which is part of the first step, that if your life has become unmanageable, that the only way that you can be restored to sanity is by giving it over to a higher power. And it's not even asking you to do it yet. (laughs) So, which is great, right? There are like three steps in, in the 12 steps that are about becoming willing before even taking the action, right? It's about sort of getting to that stage of being like, okay, I could, I could see that perhaps the way that I've been doing this isn't right. It isn't working. Right. And at the Meadows, you have to attend meetings mm-hmm. every day. You get to choose which one. There was one, you know, for every situation, you you could do whichever you want. And I think I have been so burned by God yes. 
and 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 religion and i've seen what it's done to this country mm-hmm. i see you know religion the, most wars are for over some so i've been very anti g word yep. Yep. okay and so the 12 step program is all god 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 or higher power you know and so i at least probably walked out of the meadows having done what steps one and two. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, yeah, I'm not into this whole God thing. So I, I um, and then of course they encourage you to have go into meetings. And I was like, no, fuck this. I've done enough. Right. And then I recognized how I was going through such withdrawal and I was in so much pain. I was like, I opened up um, the big book of AA. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I started to, well, let me understand this God thing. What is this higher power? And I really saw very, very clearly that I have been making men my higher power my entire fucking life. Entire fucking life. (laughs) Entire (laughs) fucking life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of every boyfriend I had, high school, middle school, college, where the minute they come into my life, nothing else mattered. And so I just... Or I have to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. So that coming into finding in higher power, the pain was so unimaginable. Yeah. Where it, I was again the word insanity. I love the words twelve step uses about insanity because you're. It's not that you are insane. Your life is insane. Right. Things are out of control, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so what I found that the twelve steps and any of the big books was um, really missing was this spiritual healing of over a broken heart. Mm. I didn't find that anywhere. Okay. And I wanted a connection or a a conversation with my higher self Mm -hmm. because I was literally praying to God, please remove this pain from Mm -hmm. me. I Mm -hmm. I don't know what to Mm -hmm. do. And when I started doing that, I started to see a huge change quickly where I would wake up, I would pray and I would think that God's not listening or whatever. And then suddenly I'd wake up and I'm like, I don't feel so bad today. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe there's some value to this prayer. Right. right. <laughs> and I started to really, instead of waking up crying, I would then pray about something. I would scan and it became, kind of became my process of just what's bothering me. And I was just basically handed over yeah. to my higher power. Uh-huh. Um, and I want to say too, is I really did around that time, January, February, I ended up really diving into a program. Um, and I got a sponsor mm-hmm. who really helped me through the steps. So I did go through Good. all of them. Yep. And, um, and I, and I, so I really, and what's wonderful, you don't have to pay a thing, right? right. So it's, it's all community and service. But through that process, my relationship with my higher power, I had to find it. So I ended up just starting to question, ask a question, and then breathe and hear some voice. What was it? Some something. something. Right. I started to write down what I heard. And so then, and, and I would write it on my phone, mm-hmm. on my notes section on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. And, and then throughout the day, I would read it over and over and over. It was so comforting. And each one and each thing, I just kept having more unbelievable insights uh, from this thing called my higher power. Mm -hmm. And that was around February when I really started writing it. And I'd say by April, I made the most amazing shift. I just started to get really, really, really happy. Mm -hmm. And I felt really, really good. And so there, I recognized that that is what helped me get over um, the pain. And, um, and obviously through other work that I was doing, right. but I don't think you can get over any grief or loss or heartbreak without this component. And I think, um, as a coach, I've been afraid to talk about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. because of the G word. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... But now I just think you have to incorporate it somehow. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I mean, I have different, God, this year it'll be, I think it's, in April, it'll be 23 years since I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting. So, and it was, it was a fucking process because I grew up in intellectual household where there was no, there were, I had no access to spirituality, you know, spiritual, spirituality was anti-intellectual. I had no access to God other than as this, whatever, you know, certainly not benevolent, right? 
And so it took a long, a long time for me to have a similar, different, but similar process of like, all right, you know, and my, my first sponsor gave me a, <laughs> she gave me this amazing little uh, wooden reindeer that you like, you know, when you push up the end, you push up the bottom and then he collapses, right. Cause it's on the strings. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this higher power bullshit. Like, this is crazy. It makes no sense to me. And she's like, okay, here, this is your higher power. He sits on your desk. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. You know, and for a lot of people, they say the chairs in the room the you know, your chair is the higher is your higher power. That's it. That's all it has to be for today. And, you know, to have that grow in me over the year, it, it's grown in different ways over the years. And now I sort of utilize it in my coaching in different, in, in different ways. Like I'll, I will say, you know, I'll, I'll have my, my clients do like full moon ceremonies, especially like I have a client moving out of her house tomorrow. The full moon is tonight. I'm like, great. This is a release. This is a letting go. And she's like, I didn't know you were so woo. And I was like, sometimes (laughs) yes. Right. And so I think that it can occur in different, in different ways. And I think, and the the beauty of the 12 steps is that they use 12 step programs, use the word God, but it is the God of your understanding. It doesn't matter if it's the father of Jesus or if it's a reindeer, a collapsible reindeer, if it works for you, if it's the idea, right, that there is something other, right, mm-hmm. that our intellect mm-hmm. is, you know, as they say, it's like, you know, the worst neighborhood, <laughs> right, like in our in our yeah. heads, it's like the, you know, it's a dark alley in there. You know, our intellect is what got us into this in the first place, right? So it's not going to be the thing that gets us out. Right. And I say this, that, um, and this is how I kind of formed my writing, which ultimately became this book, Blessings of a Breakup. Mm -hmm. But I say that our ego Mm -hmm. is the chief operating officer of all things from the past. Yes. I love the way you put that in there. Mm -hmm. Our spirit, which I call God, but it's our our creator, our spirit is only right now. Mm-hmm. There is no thing, such thing as yesterday and there's no such thing as tomorrow. And so when you are really in this place of just being in the now, mm-hmm. ego has nowhere to go, right? Yeah. And it'll try. Um, and so ego is fear and spirit is love. Mm-hmm. And when I really started to just tap into that and just listen for something right now, it's almost a process of, well, ego has nothing to do. So then it is a place where spirit does come through. That higher self can can be, you can hear a message or calm or love or a feeling or even seeing things in a, in a way that is more in your higher power. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in that process was when all these little downloads, the messages that came to me and I started writing them and it's funny. I really never went, I wrote it for me. Mm -hmm. I did Mm -hmm. not write it. It was, there was no intention of a book, but somewhere in one of my meditations or around August or whatever, it was now you have to share it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you have to share it with someone. And so I ended up copying and pasting all these things into a word document and started editing it. And I'm like, yes, I guess this could be a book. And I was reading this stuff and I couldn't believe Kate that it was me because mm. it wasn't me. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way I write it, it is so from a divine, a different place. Yeah. And that's where I really believe that we can all channel this divine thinking. Um, we don't have to go to church or be baptized or like, it's in us. Right. That's right. And we can all channel it. So that's really what, what I started doing and hence this piece of work. So let's talk about it. So it's called blessings of a breakup. So it's a blessing, a blessing. (laughs) So it's the, a lesson and a blessing, right? It's a, I love the title. I love it. So this book is, is these downloads. These are, there are 50, there are 50 blessings, Mm -hmm. right? And you start with the ego, Right. You really start with sort of excavating what what the ego is. Yeah. And how it. Yeah. How it traps us or or and also. But you talk about like, the you know, the innocence of a right. The beginning, the beginning stages of of ego, which is this purity of, of yeah. self. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I say that when we're born, um, we're, we're, we're our most divine selves. We are perfect. If you ever look at a baby, whether it's yours or someone else's, you can't stop looking at this creature of just mystery and divine. And then we really start to pick up that ego around 18 months, two years old. And, and then we're seeing our parents fight or something's happening. And then we start programming. You know, mm-hmm. fear, fear, yep. fear, fear, fear. Yep. So the whole point is is to find a way to return back to the innocence and going what I call home. It's going home. Mm-hmm. We don't need to become a different person. All we have to do is go back to where we came from. And it yeah. seems like a lot less work when we think about it that way, right? Yeah, that's right. It's it's a stripping away, not a piling on. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I felt as though. The, the blessings are for someone who is going through an acute, acute pain right now over a breakup. It doesn't mean you don't have to be because there's so much other goodness in there, mm-hmm. but that is what I needed to get through the day so that I can be focused. So I don't go and, and, and get triggered by a really negative thought and have my day ruined. So I started writing those in the morning and then I would remember them throughout the day. So that's kind of where I decided to just, you know, I, I created the book. It's just an ebook right now. I don't have it on Amazon just yet. I, oh, it'll get there. I wanted to just, I felt so hurried and, and I got to get this out now. Mm-hmm. So I ended up just creating an opt-in on my site. So you can get it for free. You don't even have to purchase the book. And if you opt into my site and to the blessings, it's right up at the top you will get one every, one every day for the next 50 days um, in between, you know, messages just from Lindsay coach of like, Hey, how you doing? Right. Cause yeah. one is like the divine self. And then it's like one is coach Lindsay. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was actually really terrified truthfully to put that out there because I'm mm. thinking people are going to think I'm such some Holy roller, like born again, I'm woke, you know, but I think we all have a, a curiosity about, spirituality, whether we want to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all looking for some connection just between me and me, right? You and you. Yes. I mean, and I think this this is what accounts for, you know, all the religion in the world, right? We're, we, we, are, we are inherently seekers. We, we feel this connection. We feel something. We don't know what it is. We, it's hard to name it. It's elusive by design. And there's a, there's a power in surrendering to it mm-hmm. um, and receiving the, the blessings, if you will, <laughs> that it has for, for, for all of us, for all of us. And I think that, you know, I think the beauty of your book is that I think it appeals to people who are religious, who have a very strong connection to, the, to God and, you know, have a very specific relationship with that, right? Because it really speaks that language. And I think, you know, you invite in the introduction, and I want to invite people as well to who don't maybe don't to see beyond the word God, right? As as is sort of invited in 12-step programs and everything, right? So like just like it's of whatever you whatever it is for you. Yeah. Whatever it is for you. Right. It's it's if that's and no. I used, to, and I say this in my introduction. I used to say mm-hmm. universe because right. I'm, I'm yes. a huge believer of universal energy, and there is a loving energy out there that supports us. What I felt as though by saying universe, it was outside of me, right. and that sometimes I couldn't see it or touch it. Where I really started to think that God is in me; it's in all of us, our That's Creator, right. our, mm-hmm. our our spirit, and mm-hmm. and and so to me, that felt more personal. Um, and right. then I have the power to channel that voice at any moment. And, and I do say, it, you know, definitely use a different word at the, at, at the end of the day. It just gets a different lens of getting you outside of your ego thoughts for about five minutes a day. It's so important, guys. Our, you know, our, like we say, our best thinking got us here. It ain't going to get us out. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And I think that, um, again, whether, you know, we, we started this off with love addiction, um, mm-hmm. and so much of, if, if we, I mean, it's, it's really simple. You can label yourself love addict or love avoidant all you want. At the end of the day, if you're, if you're getting out of a really crappy toxic relationship and you're heartbroken and not saying, thank God that guy's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You are in withdrawal. You have a distorted sense of that relationship. And so that is 
an addiction, addictive thinking. That's right. And so in order to get out of the addictive thinking, we have to create a daily practice of something outside of that heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I really hope to help people with, with these lessons. I love it. Lindsay, thank you so much. And these are on your website, which is lindsayellison.com. Correct. Okay. Yep. And it's the right at the header, sign up. And I also want to point out, I, there's two versions. One is for the love interest of women and the love interest of men. Mm. So, um, and I did not want to create a gender neutral because to me, I needed a pronoun in there, you know, okay. because how you love a he is can be, can be different than how you love a she. So that's mm-hmm. why I, mm-hmm. I created um, two different ones. So it'll ask you which love interest you have and you'll get that. Great. I love it. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It's Thanks always me. such a pleasure and such an honor to have these conversations with you. You have been a God knows a lifesaver and guiding force in my life. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. I, I actually had a joke with my boyfriend and I said, you know what? I think I help people because I am, I've had such a fucked up life. So, <laughs> right. So, right. Your trauma that you, you like, you know, your trauma that landed you in, in a treatment center <laughs> helped me get my, find my way to the treatment center. So it's great. And now yeah. we just pass it on to other people. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so that's, yeah, that's what, that's, that's how we become healers and teachers is, is I figured out how to solve this problem and I want to teach others to do it so they don't suffer as much. That's the whole reason why we're in this business. That's right. Amen, sister. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.